Welcome back to What's Next? Chats with American Studies alumni. I am Sandra Rath and today my guest is Dr. Marie-Louise Löffler. From 2001 to 2006, Dr. Löffler studied the Magister with the combination of American Studies and Art History, spending a year abroad at the University of Massachusetts in Amherst. She went on to pursue her PhD in American Literary Studies. During that time, she was a research fellow at UC Berkeley as well as Stanford University. Until 2013, she also held various positions at the Institute for American Studies in Leipzig, mainly as a research associate and lecturer. From 2012 to 2016, Dr. Löffler was a research associate and coordinator for international exchanges at the University of Bremen. In 2017, she started a staff position at the Office for Equal Opportunities at the city of Heidelberg, heading the EU project Guide for You to support women suffering from violence since 2019. In 2020, Dr. Löffler became the Women's and Equal Opportunities Officer at the city of Heidelberg, heading the subdivision for women and gender equality at the Equal Opportunities Office. Dr. Löffler and I talked about her journey to her PhD, her experiences at UC Berkeley and Stanford, what she thinks are important negotiation and leadership skills, and what's important to know when applying for funding. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome, Dr. Löffler. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Um, we especially appreciate you making the time for us in times of you know, home office and homeschooling. So thank you. And first of all, how are you doing in this situation? I'm doing all right at the moment. Um, thank you for having me here. It's nice to be here. Yeah, I'm doing I'm doing okay. You know, the school's opened again, so that's helpful. Um, and yeah, yeah, things are okay. You know, we have spring around the corner, so um, things are surely getting better. There's more sunlight, which helps too. So yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's great. Um, so, well, let me just dive right into the questioning. Um, so the first question is, why did you decide to pursue a PhD after graduation? Was that always your plan or did this goal sort of develop during your studies? Mm -hmm. um, I really wanted to get my PhD in American literature after I'd um, finished my master's degree uh, at the University of Leipzig. Um, but I already knew that I wanted to pursue that path during my first year of studying abroad at the University of Massachusetts, which was right after my intermediate exams. So that was like two years into my studies um, because I took um, literature classes at the African-American Studies Department um, in Massachusetts. And these classes kind of opened up a whole new world of literature for me. And I really wanted to go deeper and no more. And I loved working with those texts. Um, so that was kind of the point where I decided that I really wanted to get a PhD in literature. And um, I was fortunate that when I came back, Professor Anne Kuhn back then also had a focus on African-American literature and women's literature in her research. And I was able to take classes with her. And then I was very much supported by uh, Professor Katja Kanzler back then, who uh, 
also introduced me, actually my very first introductory class, like right in my first year, introduced me to gender studies and critical race theory and the concept of intersectionality. So um, she really influenced me like right from the beginning and then supported me during my master's studies in literature. Um, so both of them kind of very much influenced me and uh, Professor Anne Köhn became my first dissertation advisor um, and Professor Katja Kanzler became my second dissertation advisor and I wrote my PhD on African-American women's literature, on African-American women's vampire fiction. So it worked out for me <laughs> and that's how it came about, my PhD. That's very interesting. And can you tell us a bit more about your research opportunities that you then had at UC Berkeley and also at Stanford? What was this experience like? It um, was very different. Um, <laughs> UC Berkeley, so UC Berkeley and Stanford are like in themselves two entirely different kinds of universities. Um, so my experience varied a lot between those schools too and compared to Germany. Um, so I was at Berkeley for six months right uh, at the beginning of my dissertation and I loved Berkeley. Like Berkeley was very liberal and open and progressive and it was just a really cool place to be. And it was actually like, You know, I browsed around Berkeley a lot. And in one of those little bookstores, I found a novel, a vampire novel by a black woman writer, like the first vampire novel ever that I'd read by a black woman writer. And it completely fascinated me. So I I turned around, like I, I changed my subject for my t dissertation because I actually wanted to write my dissertation on something else. And after I found that novel in Berkeley, like I wanted to write about that. Um, and I wanted to go further with that. So that was Berkeley. And um, I was at Stanford for three years, like, and that was later in my dissertation. And Stanford was a great school for doing research because I had access to everything I needed. Like, it was super easy. Like, I had access to every single book I wanted, every single essay I wanted, and it took no time to get them from there. Like, the library was fantastic. And I met a lot of other doctoral and postdoctoral fellows, which was very helpful. And they also became good friends. So I had a good social life there. Um, but I, I kind of missed the open and vibrant academic atmosphere that I found in Berkeley at Stanford, because Stanford is just a very different kind of school. Um, but it helped me a lot in doing research for my PhD. Yeah. They both sound like really great opportunities and almost movie-like in a way. So um, both are extremely prestigious universities, obviously. And how did you land these opportunities other than, you know, obviously doing very valuable research? It was actually with the help of people. <laughs> like, um, like I, I mean, I was really thrilled about my dissertation subject, but actually it was Professor Anna Koenen who helped me a lot with Berkeley because um, Professor Kuhn um, wrote her habilitation in Berkeley. Like she spent years there. And so she had a lot of connections there. And a good friend of hers, Elizabeth Abel, who is a professor at the English department, um, was the one she suggested to me. 
Um, so she connected us, me and Professor Abel, and Professor Abel liked my ideas uh, for my dissertation and agreed to advise me. And um, six months later, I was in Berkeley and Professor Abel was wonderful. And it's kind of a similar story for Stanford. It's, you know, these connections and, and networks mm. that just kind of spring up and help you a lot in your career. Um, and mm. so that's what happened? I don't. I don't. I don't know if I would have ever gotten kind of this research um, fellowship or or just being a, a guest researcher. That's what I was uh, without the help of of people. Um, mm. If I just kind of anonymously applied there, I don't know if they would have taken me. But this mm. way, they actually really wanted to help me too and looked at mm. my work and yeah, and we got along well while I was there. So. Mm. That's how it worked out. Yeah, cool. No, and I think the takeaway here is, you know, to be close to the professors and, you know, ask them for help if that's something that you want to pursue. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you know, forming networks and, mm. and having people who support you and guide you, I think is really important on so mm. many levels for yeah. your research, for your academic pursuits for your future career um so this helped me a lot wherever mm -hmm. I yeah that's yeah <laughs> cool and so before and after your fellowships you were a research associate at american studies leipzig and then later also at the university of bremen in the department of english-speaking cultures and how would you assess working as a research associate What are the pros and cons of this job? So I didn't have a position at the American Studies Department um, in Leipzig. I just taught different classes, but I did have a staff position at the University of Bremen, which was funded by the DFG. And those two were um, very different experiences. Um, but I think that as a research associate, um, you... You, like it, it gives you a lot of freedom to pursue your research, to work as that and, and to grow in the process. And it also enables you to form professional networks uh, with other scholars. So again, important um, because that was vital for my success. And I think it's just it's intellectually it's wonderful to work in such a position because you are able to really explore your ideas and um, in Leipzig and Bremen I was able to explore these ideas in an inter and transdisciplinary context um, and that helped a lot that shaped me a lot to have like influences from other fields too at all times um, but the major disadvantage is um, the lack of security Like you get these two to three year contracts and you re you never really know what happens next. And uh, I think that's a major drawback of mm. yeah working in academia in these positions. Yeah, I think you have to be really sure of, you know, wanting to be in the ac academic field kind of to take this risk also to have this financial insecurity at, at times. So, yeah. Yeah. And um, You just can't plan your life. Mm. It's really hard to plan your life and it can get, I mean, you know, I've met a lot of research associates and scholars um, from all over Germany and it, it can be really frustrating after a while mm -hmm. um, to not know where you're going to be and what's going to happen to you. And I think that's also, I, I think, pretty specific to the German system and it can be hard for 
for people who pursue, you know, for example, their PhD and have these positions. Um, yeah, totally. Um, and so in, in 2017, you started a position at the Municipal Equal Opportunities Office at the city of Heidelberg. And why did you decide to leave the academic field, the academic realm, and to go into public service? Well, it was exactly that lack of security. That was definitely a major reason for me to leave academia, because by that time, like that was shortly before I was about to finish my habilitation, like maybe a year before I would have finished. My son was about to enter elementary school. Um, so I really started thinking about this very hard. And um, I knew that my son and I did too. Uh, we needed some stability. Moving around was no longer an option for us as a family. Um, and I also, I was ready to settle down somewhere for a while and not have this kind of um, perspective of not knowing like where I would work in two years or if I would have to commute two, three, four or five hours away from my family. Um, so I decided to leave um, and I looked around for jobs and positions outside of academia and I was very lucky to find this job at the Equal Opportunities Office in Heidelberg. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what were your responsibilities in this first position in Heidelberg? Well, I worked for the former uh, Women's and Equal Opportunities Officer. Um, and I had two major areas of responsibilities, and that was um, the area of prostitution and domestic violence in Heidelberg. So more generally, violence against women and children. Um, so I started doing, which was very random back then, like three months prior, I, w I was still giving lectures at the University of Bremen. And then like I started this job and all of a sudden I started doing street work in the 14 brothels of Heidelberg um, to actually understand what kind of support structures we needed there. And we started setting up counseling centers and uh, implemented a round table. I started doing a lot of public relations work in that field. I started to work with institutions that are part of our support system for victims of violence. Um, I started to analyze the gaps in the system. I tried to implement projects that would fill these gaps. So these were my responsibilities back then. Uh, and that was quite different from what I'd done before at mm. the University of Bremen. So that was like, for me, that was also a process. Like it took me a while to get used to it um, mm. and to really find myself um, because like it took me about a year, I would say, of really just kind of like finding my space uh, again and feeling comfortable in it. Um, because it was the, the work was utterly different from what I'd done mm. before. Yeah, but um, I applaud you because this is very important work, obviously. Um, <laughs> in 2017, you secured funding from the EU Commission for the Guide for You project. You led the negotiations with the Commission and headed the project that involves a variety of different partners. What are lessons concerning negotiation tactics and skills as well as leadership skills that you learned during that time? So Guide for You, just to give a bit of background information, um, is a pilot project um, funded by the EU, which started in November 2019. So it was a long process before we actually were able to start after applying for it, before we were able 
to start the project, like a long process of negotiations in between and of assessment by the EU. And the project was designed to improve the existing support structures for women who are affected by domestic violence in Heidelberg um, and to supply better access to our support structures. Um, so the lessons that I learned are in those negotiations with the EU are that you have to be very clear on what you want and you need to be very patient in communicating it. <laughs> Because I had so many phone calls and calls with the EU about the tiniest aspects of our budget, for example, in our application. And I had to explain and justify over and over again why we needed it and to stay firm in my viewpoint. So the lesson that I learned was like just to be clear, firm, but also be patient. And in heading a team for such a large project with very different cooperating institutions, I mean, we work with the university clinic, the police, the intervention center for women, with the university. I really found it to be important to see and understand where each partner comes from and what their needs are in order to work on equal footing as a team. So that took me a while to understand that and to learn that and also to understand that their viewpoints can be entirely different, even though we all work in the field of domestic violence, for example. And I think what was the key for me was respectful and appreciative communication. I think that in terms of heading a project was super important. It was really crucial to always, because, you know, we, I mean, especially with the pandemic, our structures just kind of, you know, fell apart um, for a while. And the way we had planned things, like all of a sudden we had to reconceptualize things and things just didn't work out in any way or not at all the way we wanted them to be. So then we really had to make sure that we could still work together and still get through this kind of crisis in our project as well. And that's where I really learned how important communication can be because uh, we were close to just not being able to do certain things that we wanted to do. But with like kind of doing it together and always really just kind of, you know, sitting back and looking at it again from the other person's perspective or the partner's perspective, like we really got through this pandemic as well with the project. And I think that was a very valuable lesson for me in general, like of how important respectful communication is and really just seeing the other and their position and then bringing it together like on equal footing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's very valuable. I think um, all of us students can take something away from that, you know, for our future careers as well. Um, okay, so since 2019, you are a Women and Equal Opportunities Officer, heading a division within the Office for Women and Equal Opportunities. And what are your responsibilities now? And what does a typical day look like for you? <laughs> well, my, my responsibilities got a lot broader Than before. Before I focused on, you know, domestic violence and prostitution. And now I'm generally responsible for supporting women in gaining access in more areas where they're still discriminated against. So that includes basically everything. Um, and there are so many areas where women still are at a disadvantage, even nowadays and even in Germany. I mean, look at the percentage of women in leadership positions or the issue of equal pay. Payment or uh, equal 
care distribution. And, um, you know, there are a lot more of those issues. So we try to address these issues. I mean, I, I don't work alone. You know, I have a team of, of women who support me and work with me. And we address these issues with campaigns and events. And we try to set up structures or change existing structures. So that's kind of what I do now. And prostitution and violence are still really important areas of that. But they are only two areas of many others. And my workday generally starts at, I would say, 7.15, 7.30 uh, where I check emails and then I generally have a lot of meetings during the day uh, with my own team, with other people within the Equal Opportunity Office, with the director, because I w generally work intersectionally. So when we look at certain problems or issues, we try to bring it together and discuss it together from different perspectives. But I also have meetings with partners of the EU project because it's still ongoing and I still had it. And with counseling centers, citizens, citywide institutions. So um, that's a major part of my workday. But I also work on plans for projects or we, you know, plan campaigns or events. So it's very, sometimes I have calls or meetings on the federal level, on the EU level. So that's kind of, it's mostly that. And it's mostly from home or via Zoom or Skype. I, it mm -hmm. used to be in person more. I used to travel much more. I used to meet, I used to just love meeting people and having meetings like in person, like all over the city before that because I do think it makes a difference um, to be there and to listen to people like in person but you know we have zoom and other <laughs> frameworks digital frameworks so it works out um, as well. yeah mm -hmm. yeah but that's a lot that you do and I imagine that the issues that you're responsible for can at times be very hard also to process mentally and if this is the case for you, I mean, I'm just assuming, but um, how do you deal with these, with this issue? It can be mentally burdensome sometimes. Um, that was especially the case in the beginning, like when I started working within the field of prostitution and domestic violence, because, you know, you hear very sad and intense life stories of women and children, and that can be really hard to digest. Like, I, you know, I came from being lecturing at the University of Bremen and writing my dissertation, doing research, and all of a sudden you kind of, you fall into this other thing, like uh, where you, you see and hear things that you haven't really dealt with before. So that was really hard in the beginning. But I got a lot of help from people within the support system here in Heidelberg, from people who work at counseling centers who would talk about cases with me and um, who were there for me too. Like I can talk about these cases with them or when something troubles me and they help me kind of reframe it or find some kind of distance um, to it. But I also do a lot for my mental health. That's what I've learned in the past couple of years. Like I take walks in nature like um, where I can kind of shut it out or process it and you know I have a number of, of very good close friends and I talk to them and they're there for me and I also have a son who just kind of naturally draws me out of work and my thoughts about work because we do entirely different things together like we skateboard or <laughs> we uh, we bake and you know 
and I really I just love that so that helps a lot to mm -hmm. also deal with difficult issues in my work life mm -hmm. yeah interesting um, so this kind of wraps up our first part where I ask more CV uh, related questions and the second part is more about general questions and the first general question that I have for you is Did you do any internships during your studies? And if yes, how did they shape your professional life? <laughs> I did not do any internships whatsoever really? uh, during my studies at the University of Leipzig. None at all. Um, Interesting. You know, I knew after two years, basically, or let's say two and a half, that I wanted to get my PhD. So that's what I focused on. Like, that is what I wanted. And yeah. um, so I didn't really bother. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, like, looking back at it, that was super risky. Like, it could have also not worked out the way it did. Mm -hmm. But it did work out <laughs> this way. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Um, I didn't do any internships. But I don't think that's good advice for other students. I think it makes sense to get some working experience before you finish your degree mm. and to get some kind of real life impression you know of what it looks like so I wouldn't recommend my <laughs> ass necessarily but I'm glad it worked out for me yeah no I mean it, that's totally legit and it's so interesting also to hear a different story because the first I mean it's been three guests but All of them were like, did so, so many internships. And, you know, it's really interesting to hear a different story. I mean, obviously, you also pursued a different path with, you know, going into academics. But this is really good to have a different perspective on now, even though you wouldn't recommend it. But I mean, it still worked out. So, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was really just kind of, I mean, after I came back from the University of Massachusetts, after that year abroad, like, I just knew what I wanted. Mm. Like, I was really, really, like, it was just kind of like some spark inside of me that just kind of got bigger and bigger. And um, so I was more focused on, like, for those two and a half years that I had left before my mm -hmm. master's degree, I was super focused on pursuing that, on, on making sure that I could start my PhD right after my master's degree. And so I put a lot of work into my literature classes, and I tried to stand out in those classes so I would be seen by the professors. Back then, there were so many students in those classes by Professor Anna Kuhn, you know, like, and I, I wanted her to see that I was serious about it. Mm -hmm. um, and I was super serious about my master's thesis, which was also in African-American women's literature. So I put mm -hmm. a lot of work into that. I went to the U.S. to do research to find the right books for my master's thesis. Like, and, you know, she advised it. And after that, I mean, She said, okay, yeah, I can see it in you. And so that was my focus. So I didn't even like want to do internships. Like that would have just like taken me away from what I really yeah. wanted. Yeah, it's really an interesting take. And for those uh, pursuing a PhD, what would be your advice? I mean, I know we already kind of dipped into it a little bit, but what aspects should they consider when making a decision to pursue a PhD or not? I think it's really important to be passionate about doing research mm. um, because a PhD is kind of you go down a long long road 
Mm. I mean, it took me, I mean, I had a child too in between, but it took me six years to finish my PhD. And that's not unusual. It takes five to six years in the humanities. And it's not an easy road. I mean, there are tough times too. It's a lot of fun, but they're tough times. So I think you have to really love doing research. And that mm -hmm. love for whatever your topic is, that will kind of tip over into kind of a love-hate relationship because you do it so much and eventually it's it gets harder. I mean, for me, I can only speak for myself, but it gets harder and harder. So you really just, you have to have some inner drive. I think mm -hmm. that's important. And um, you also have to be able to work independently and sometimes for long stretches at a time because it's just you and the library or wherever you work. So you have to kind of push yourself and be able to do it by yourself. And I think, again, you have to have a good network of fellow researchers and advisors and um, whoever you can find who can help you and guide you through it, because that was essential for me. I mean, without my advisors, like without Professor Kuhn and Professor Kanzler, who really supported me, and without other doctoral students at the American Studies Department, like I would have not gotten through this and finished um that was like we read our texts and we helped each other a lot and that was super important for me but I think it's also important that you secure funding mm -hmm. um I mean you have to either you get a scholarship or you get a part-time job or whatever it is but that's you know it's important it's existential you need to have the finances to be able to pursue research and that's not easy often to kind of balance the two especially if you have a part-time job which will prolong the process of getting your PhD so mm. um, I think that's also something you have to at least consider that it's a balance between the two a job and research or I mean, I was lucky enough to have a scholarship, which helped me a lot. Like, I didn't have to worry about that part and was able to focus on my research more. Mm. Yeah, and this also gives a great transition into my next question, which is that you have secured several funds for your studies as well as for research and even EU projects now in your kind of second chapter of your professional career. And do you have any general advice for those looking to fund their PhD research or any specific cause? Well, I think it's important to a to kind of get a very detailed overview of what options of funding you have in your field and b to then talk to people who have already secured funding in your field. And if you're very lucky, they let you read their applications. And it's not just for the subject that they wrote a, their application on, but it's also um, so that you get an idea of the style of writing, because mm -hmm. it's a very specific style of writing. And you get an idea of the expectations that come along with these applications. And that helped me a lot. And I think it's also important to not be too intimidated by applying for funding, to just try it. Um, I did. I got a scholarship from the Rotary Foundation for my year abroad at uh, UMass at the University of Massachusetts. And that was a really random process for me. Like I just heard about it and then I applied and then I went to these weird interviews back then. And they asked me, so if we don't give it to you now, would you do it in a year? And I was like, no, I want to do it now. Mm. And then and just, it was just really strange. Like I had no experience and I just tried it and they gave it to me. 
Mm. Like they liked the ideas that I had about what I wanted to do there. And they liked my passion of literature. So you also have to just be, sometimes you're just lucky, you know, that you, you, you know, you get picked. And um, I never, ex- like I saw the other candidates who had applied and I was like, I have no, uh, th- this will never happen. Like they're mm. so much better and they're so much more advanced. And I did get it. So I would just, you know, I mean, even if you don't, get it if you apply for it it's experience then you learn how this works and once you get one and another you understand the pattern behind it much better and once you have a hang of that it's not that hard anymore and it Mm -hmm. gets less and less intimidating I mean applying for funding to the EU and we got like half a million euros from the EU I mean that was big but it wasn't immense or like not doable it just was like okay then we just take it to another level and let's do it and you know I had I had support from people for every single application like I talked to people they read my applications I think that's important too to get kind Mm -hmm. of feedback from people to have them read it to talk to them about it have them help you with the structure and your thoughts so that helped me Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now going a step further into, as I said, your second chapter, I guess, in your career. Um, do you have any advice for those who want to work in public service or within the topic of women and equality? I think I would like to give some advice on working with the topic of women and equality. And again, you need very good networks and um, coalitions because I mean you need to support people but you also need to be supported by others that's very important in that field because you know if you don't have a strong team it'll be really hard like structural discrimination like no matter what group you're talking about is very hard to fight and change so you will always always experience a lot of resistance to your work And if you have coalitions and partners uh, who do it with you, it can still be hard at times, but you're not in it by yourself. Like you do it together. And I think that's really important. And I think that's why I also like the structure that I'm working in now. Like I'm part of the Equal Opportunities Office and we have different areas there, like anti-discrimination, LGBT rights. So we work together kind of as a larger team. And that I really appreciate, like also in my everyday work, because there are always people who understand where I'm coming from and why it's important to me. And then they support me and we try to come up with ideas or strategies together. And that helps me a lot because it can be frustrating at times to try to change structures, ideas, um, stereotypes, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's what I would suggest. Find people who do it with you. Yeah. Coalition, (laughs) strong coalition. And believe in yourself. Believe in what you do. That can sound so trite you know and shallow but it's actually really important like what I do is I don't just consider it a job I consider it a necessity that people work in this field and change things and I do it for the area you know of when women get discriminated but you know I work intersectionally so I don't just work for you know white women kind of with a middle class background but I try to consider the diversity of women and when you do that like you automatically work with very different people from very different areas together and exchange ideas and Mm. 
that I find crucial for my work. Mm. Yeah, um, and I agree that it's super important work. And um, you mentioned already that you have a son, you have a family. And can you give any advice on juggling, you know, mom life, being a mom and also working full time? It can be a challenge mm -hmm. at times. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I think something that I've learned at least a bit over the years is to try to go easy on yourself. Like usually I try to do things like 150 percent um, and then I'm really into it. But I've, what I've had to learn, especially in the past year with homeschooling and the pandemic and everything, is that you just have to kind of try to let go of some of your inner or societal expectations about what it means to be a mom or um, what you should be doing. And, you know, like I've tried to do everything 100, at least 100 percent, like homeschooling and my job. And it's just not possible. So I let go on some things. And I think it's also good to make time for yourself, like to recharge your batteries. I think that's very important because when there's so much to do, like there's no energy left at some point. So it's important to also take care of yourself and to get as much help as you can. <laughs> um, I think that yeah. would be my advice <laughs> yeah no that's that's very good advice and um yeah last question is a question that we ask all of our guests because it's the title of the podcast and that's what's next um where do you see yourself in five or ten years well let's look at five years okay <laughs> um, um i would still like to work in exactly the same position where i'm at now you know i've been doing it for a little over six months now as the Women's and Equal Opportunities Officer, but I really like my work, even if it's pretty hard at times or can be, but I would like to do more um, mm -hmm. in the city, but also on a state level, federal level, even the EU level. Um, I would like to implement more projects and um, I would like to improve our support system more for, you know, victims of violence. And so I see so many areas where I still want to improve things. And I'm excited about, you know, getting to know new and interesting people who work in different fields that, you know, are related to my field. So I'm excited about that. Like, I don't want to leave yet but if I want to kind of establish maybe myself more in this area and, and change more if I can and I would also travel like to travel to Iceland at some point um, cool. yeah. that I would like to do too um, yeah. awesome yeah I mean it, it's totally legit to say well I like where I am I mean obviously doing more or maybe you know establish yourself but I mean it speaks of a level of satisfaction also that you say you know you like where you are so um I do yeah no I I, I really I mean Heidelberg is a very vibrant city it's a very diverse city and so it's not just beautiful mm. uh, which most people kind of know <laughs> yeah but it's also a culturally very diverse city with people who are just I mean, it's just so wonderful how many people are active in the fields that I'm interested in my work and, and to see so many people be so involved in projects and really trying to make a difference every day. And, you know, like if you look at these people who work in 
our intervention centers or the counseling centers and who are faced with people who experience tough things in their lives. And they still like they work so much to change it for them. Like it's very mm -hmm. inspiring. So to be part of that and to be able to support that too and, and have some impact too, that kind of reaches a deeper level of meaning mm -hmm. in my life. And I did not find that. I mean, I loved my work at the university, like in academia, but actually like doing this kind of work now which often combines my research background with a practical impact that's actually exactly where I want to be and I feel like mm -hmm. I can make an impact a positive one on other people's lives and I love that like that mm -hmm. I'm the opportunity to do that yeah yeah I mean I can only repeat myself you know that I really really applaud and and I'm in awe of your work and um yeah uh, thank you so much for taking the time to you know out of your day to speak with us share your your story and your advice i'm sure that many american study students will profit from it or you know take some inspiration from it for their own lives so thank you so much for doing this podcast with us thank you it was it was my pleasure thank you thank you to dr leffler for your insights thoughts and advice If you enjoyed this episode, we would appreciate if you shared this podcast with your peers and rate us on your respective podcast apps. If you want to ask any questions in advance to any of our next guests, please follow us on our social media channels linked in the show notes to find out who will be on next. Other than that, have a great day and speak to you soon. Bye!